the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. It's Tim Albright with AV Nation with an AV Nation special, taking a look at the business of AV. With me are two uh, two fantastic human beings, uh, Brad Ferd uh, Dempsey, that I've gotten to know uh, here recently, and Mr. Brad uh, Bradley Malone, who I've known for quite a while. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you. The reason we're talking is a couple things. Um, I've known Bradley um, Malone forever and a day uh, through Navigate uh, Consulting. Uh, I've taken several classes with Malone. Um, he's the person who introduced me to, to the, the idea of done-done or done-done-done or however many duns you want to put. Uh, and a couple of years ago, he joined Navigate uh, and Solutions 360, which is where Bradford is, came together uh, under one umbrella, under one company. And so we're going to take a look at the business of AV and how folks can do better. Now, Bradford, I, I'm going to start with you. Most integrators, most business owners, integrator owners, dealer owners, they the, the joke is that you fell into AV, right? Um, they are technologists, they are roadies, they are musicians. They don't necessarily have a business background when they start, or you know, sometimes even after years. So what's one of the biggest hurdles to growing your business that you have seen? Well, that's a great point. We certainly see a lot of that. Um, I think ultimately a business is a financial entity. And I, and I think that's the really important point. The reason a business exists is, and it may sound crude, but to make money because you yeah. can't survive, you can't grow your business, you can't uh, pursue your passion if, if you don't have profitability. So what we see is that Business is a set of skills, and some people adapt to new skills very easily and quickly, and other people have a lot more trouble adapting to those skills. And we see one of two things happening uh, with companies. Either they don't adapt and they fail, in which case we don't see much of them. But in the other case, I think what we see a lot of is companies tend to leave a lot of money on the table, and they don't get an opportunity to realize their true potential. So in my mind, the biggest challenge I see with a lot of these companies that have been started by you know, passionate technical people is that they haven't gotten that money off the table and they haven't pursued the, uh, the growth the way they possibly could. I think there also this industry has a lot of what I'll call backstage people, so people who serve others. So they're incredibly nice people. And Brad, Bradford brought up the term profit, and I've worked with lots of them. They're like, well, profit, but that's evil. And it's like, well, no, it's essential. Uh, and you can make profit. It's okay. And you actually, you know, there's the evil side of profit, you know, messing with people and, and you know, taking advantage of them. But then there's just what is profit? And, and we'll talk through, you know, gross and net. But I think it's, it's the mindset. We see so many owners that want to run not-for-profits. But I think the term is probably uh, ethical profit. That's yes. what we're really focusing on. You know, you can be a well-run business that's ethical, that treats your employees well, that creates opportunities for people, that serves your community, and you can still make a profit. Uh, so, so before we get to the, the profit part, I want to hone in on that for a second, uh, Bradford, is how do you get people over that hump? Because you're right, there is a mindset in, in some folks where profit and, and big business, you know, 
big everything, big data, big pharma, big whatever, is seen as an evil entity. How do you get people over that hump where they see profit not as necessarily evil or good, right? The, the you know, the, the line people pull from the Bible is, you know, oh, money is the root of all evil. No, the line is the love of money is the root of all evil, right? So how do you get people to the point where they don't see profit, that word, as evil? Well, I think, number one, the, the purpose of the business isn't to pursue profit. The purpose of the business is to deliver a good or service, which is a win-win situation, yeah. where you provide true value to your customer, your customer gets something out of that, and you do it in a way that is reasonably profitable without gouging or nickel and diming your customers. That creates opportunities for your staff, for your people, because what you're doing is you're creating career paths, you're creating jobs so people can feed their families. And I think that's the way you have to view it. If You're right, it's a pure pursuit of profit only, which I think is where the problem lies. All right, you, you said something there about leaving money on the table. Yes. Um, which, let's be fair here, where some of that um, that is driven by is, well, I don't want to be too greedy. Right. I, I, you know, so how do you get people to the point where they recognize the money they're leaving on the table? You get them kind of, again, over that morality hump, not saying it's moral or immoral, but they, they you get them over that hump and they, and they recognize not only the money that they're leaving on the table, but how to maximize uh, ethical profit profitability. Well, I, I think in a lot of cases we're not changing the price we charge the customer. In a lot of cases, we're trying to improve efficiency. And this is where you know lean and a lot of the things that Bradley does become so important. We can charge the same amount of money. We can have the same number of employees, but just by changing process and documentation and becoming a better company, we can dramatically improve our profit. Mr. Malone, I mentioned at the top of this that it's been two years since Navigate and Solutions came together. Uh, before we go further, explain how these two groups complement each other, how they complement the integrators that they serve and how they make everybody uh, around them better. Well, I'll, I'll go way back in time when probably I had more hair and yours was probably less gray. Uh, so uh, it was much more around, I was tool agnostic back then uh, because none of them worked well anyway. And they were typically all uh, seven tools thrown together and then moved to Excel hell. And so the, the challenge with a lot of this was you do the process side, but they couldn't come to fruition with it. And probably seven, eight years ago, I started hearing about this tool running into this tool. And it's like, going, oh, this one makes sense. And then we started talking to each other in kind of the courtship phase. And we have similar professional values and ethics. We have a similar business model. Um, neither of us are infiltrate and infest type of consultants. It's how do we add value? How do we grow you as a company to be self-sufficient and actually fulfill your dream? And if we do that well enough, you'll come back or you'll bring your friends back. Uh, and then as the tool got, uh, I'll just say better and better because we always learn from each other, it just became a natural marriage that we can now really add both process value. And just as Bradford said, when you start to do like process efficiency, we can now show you just saved 20% of your labor on your projects, which drove directly to net profit. And it also meant that you didn't have to go hire more people because you had them, you were just basically wasting their time. So I think it's a, it's a synergistic relationship. Uh, and then we also serve people who aren't Q360 customers. So Navigate's still agnostic. Business principles are business principles. It's just Q360 gives you a one-stop shop to, to see real-time data in a great way to make business decisions. How do you get 
these folks, because Bradford and I were talking earlier about a lot of these folks are, are old roadies. They're, they're musicians. They, they kind of fell into business ownership because they knew a guy or knew a gal that needed something done and they never went back to school, right? They never, they just, it was, the, it's the school of hard knocks, right? It's the school of, of learn as you go. How do you get folks that are integrators to, you know, up to speed on those basic business principles? Well, people, I'll say only listen or change when it's something that interests them or where they have uh, pain. Yep. And so a lot of times it's like people, I come in and say, well, boy, you need to improve your processes. And they go, process, bad, bad word, seven letters, I hate that word. I'm like, well, you send your text out to the job site, but they, the warehouse didn't check whether they had the right wiring or equipment. So now I'm gonna spend my, send my most expensive PM out on a job run to go track that. What cost did I spend there, but also what's the opportunity cost that I, and so it's, it's laying that out. And then on projects, we'll get into done, done, but it's not the A project that causes companies problems. It's when one project wiggles and what's the ripple effect across all those other projects and showing them in a dollar way if I can take five seconds off of terminating a cable and I do 50,000 cables a year, man, what did I just save? So it's really the cost savings and working smarter and showing them in very tangible ways and easy ways, this is the result, this is the ramification. Because a lot of people say like, well, I have to overhaul my whole company. No, you just have to buy all your technicians the same termination tool and reward them for using it. Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah, I think on the financial yes. side, um, it's it's about what does it mean to me? Exactly. So I'll, quite often I'll say to a business owner, how would you feel if I could tell you I could put another $50,000 in your bank today? Well, how do I do that? Well, DSO. Well, what's DSO? So just explaining the concepts of the way you manage your business can have such an impact. And I you know, ask them, what keeps you up at night? Well, it's if I can't meet payroll, if I, if I can't pay my suppliers, you know. If I don't have the cash in the bank, I stress over that, and it's very difficult for me. Well, there are very simple ways that we can talk about how all of that can be improved, and I think that's the way you really get across to people. Exactly. Let's hit them where they, as you said, the pain is, right? right. I mean, we just came from Cedia, uh, so and and AV's AV, but Avix is a different animal than Cedia. So we're there teaching, and we ask, how many of you take deposits? Every hand went up. We were like, well, how much on deposits? Ninety percent. And, and so we're just laughing because we're about to go into a, you know, a commercial world. How do you do deposits? We don't. Why? Because our customers don't like them. Okay. Well, then who's funding all the projects? Uh, we are. Well, with the current interest rate, you're leaving, you're paying five, 6% interest just to fund them. Are you guys also called, you know, the AV and bank? And they're like, oh, of course not. Well, then why are you operating as one? So it's, again, taking these principles and showing them in very discreet uh, ways, measurable ways, and then giving them simple ways to change it. Right. And teaching them it's not all or nothing. Exactly. It's not binary. It's if I can get 10% of my customers to give me deposits, what difference would that make to my business? Yes, certainly. There's a lot of customers who will not give deposits. You can't get them from the federal government. That's fine. But if you can get 10% of your customers doing it, what an improvement to your business. Bradford, really quickly, um, because I like to define acronyms, what is DSO? Days, 
sales outstanding. It's essentially the average number of days it takes for customers to pay your invoices. Okay, Bradley, I, we mentioned we talked about Dun Dun a couple of times here. Let's, let's get into it. How do you, how, what is one thing that you could give to an integrator? And honestly, on, on this one, on this question, also talk to the customer itself because sometimes it's getting them there as well. What's one thing that, that, that folks can do to get to done done and get that invoice paid? To me, I'm always trying to get rid of the second done out of that conversation because that's you're not the going normal to. pieces. Where, yeah, exactly. We're done. I'm like, oh, so you're done? They're like, well, not quite. we got to go back and fix it all. I'm like, why do you do that? And they're like, going, well, because a whole bunch of things, but that's just how we do it. I'm like, well, there went 10 points just sitting there plus it caused pain to all the other projects downstream. So two things. One is that, again, I'm going to use the word seven-letter word process, is that projects, so do we have good designs that our techs understand, or are we overusing our engineers and sending our engineers at the end of the project to do commissioning? And they're like, well, yeah, why? Because they know everything about everything. Well, I just took them off the drawings table, and now I've created heroism and all that stuff. And I've, I've, and I, I ask on commissioning, so just you, you're asking simple things, but it's like, I'm, okay, engineer who was out commissioning, what were you doing? They're like, fixing wires. I'm like, oh, well, that was a really expensive wire by the time four people touched it. So the integrator needs to look at checklists. What's our pre-wire checklist really do? What's our final checklist do? Commissioning is about performance, not functionality. So it's using those checklists and the discipline around them. And again, lots of AV integrators love to be nice and they want their people to like them versus kind of process and discipline. The second is from the customer's perspective, incremental sign-offs. So do you approve this drawing? Do you approve this user interface? Do you approve this along the way? Because it's then very hard for the customer at the end of the project to say, well, I don't like it. Well, no, I have seven signatures that say you do. Hmm. And then they'll go, well, but I want to change it. Oh, well, that's a whole nother conversation, which is a different project. Yeah. So I think it's it's that upfront conversation. I think that and it's part of the DNA. Uh, this industry and live events is just taking it, you know, up a level. Is adrenaline based. Uh, they love excitement. They love to put on the Superman cape. And man, they just love to rock. And it's like going, okay, but you know, you're 30, but you look 60. How's it going for you? And they're just like going, okay, I am tired. All right. And then the, the thing that they look at is hope in so many of these companies is a strategy, but I want to look at hope on one project just cre uh, created a disaster for the ones that were relying on those people. So it's that mantra, not from a negative perspective, but the best a project can get is not worse. And so it's putting the discipline up front and rewarding people for raising their hands early. Again, this is a great, nice industry. Well, my boss doesn't want to hear bad news. Well, if it's day one and you know you're in trouble and you raise your hand and say, we just need to do one thing, 1% different. That's not bad news. That's just prevention. So, yeah, I mean, it's a mantra and I've been around the world and heard done, done in 27 languages, Tim. And I'm just like, do we ship this Kool-Aid out to people when they enter the AV space? That's my question. I want to sell that Kool-Aid. All right. Um, Bradford, you and I got to hang out at, at, with the, the folks at NSCA uh, here recently. And the common thread through that was AI, right? Artificial intelligence, large language models. You know, when you look at, at, at AI, 
you know, what's, I guess I should say how, you know, how can integrators leverage AI to serve their customers better? I think something was reaffirmed for me at Pivot to Profit, and I've thought this since the beginning of the year. AI is the biggest thing which is going to happen in my lifetime. This change, and I was there for the beginning of the internet and before the internet, and I've watched it all evolve. But AI is much bigger, yeah. much bigger than the internet. It is a freight train coming, and there's a light there coming through the tunnel, and if you don't pay attention to it, you're going to get run over. And those, almost those same words were used by some of the other industry experts. And there are multiple places where integrators need to be looking at this. So ChatGPT is obviously is what drove a lot of this, the popularity, the ubiquity of, of a simple-to-use application that people can start to use generative AI. And the most common way I see it used, it's, it's kind of like having a little advisor on your shoulder, right? You know, I turn to it and I say, how should I answer this email? Right. Or, you know, I, you know, for example, I use it, I, I follow foreign exchange because we have two companies in two different countries. And there's a lot of foreign exchange terms I'm not very familiar with. So what I do is I've got a, an ongoing chat and I drop my foreign exchange daily newsletter into it and have ChatGPT help me understand what's going on. And I see a, a lot of this type of use happening within, um, you know, in the HR and marketing, helping us write, uh, you know, or, or edit our copy. On the other side, what I really enjoyed at Pivot to Profit was I got to hear manufacturers talk about how AI is being introduced into cameras and technology and big data. And, you know, they even talked about the concept of um, sonar, you know, having sound, which actually goes out and can tell if somebody might have a weapon under their jacket just by the sound vibrations, by building management. So I think it's kind of a two-pronged approach. We're gonna see integrators um, adopting and, and the ones that learn and adopt their manufacturers AI the best are going to have a huge advantage. But what we're focusing on is the backside. And to give you an example, what we've recently introduced into Q360 is what if I can take my last 100,000 service calls and inject them into a, a private AI database? And that's a key I wanna talk about. In a, in a second. And I put in all our white papers and I put in all of our help file. So now when a call comes in, and this is just step one, my CSRs can type in the question and they can see with citations any potential answers to that service issue. Now that can be done in any area of the business. So I briefly mentioned the concept of private data storage. So what has really happened very recently is Azure, Microsoft, has offered you the ability to create private blobs. And within the blob, you can have AI analyze the storage without the concern of putting data into that big model and having it shared to other people. And that is a tremendously important breakthrough in AI. And if you think, now we can have multiple repositories, and these repositories can be controlled by permissions. I can have an engineering repository. I can have an HR repository. I can have a marketing repository where we are leveraging our information. So I'm kind of going on in a long rant here, but as you can tell, I'm very passionate about AI, and I think it's extremely important that we pay attention to this. So on one side, it's what you do to your customers and what you do with your products, but on the other side, it's the way you manage your business, and that is critical. Well, and I think just as an example on the back side, you support desks. It's like, what are where are those calls coming from? And then we also develop software. Hmm. What's the root cause of that call? How does that then lead to our roadmap conversation? So it's, we're really, I mean, intent on using it internally and just seeing the paradigm shift there of being way more proactive than reactive. Well, gentlemen, that'll be a good place to stop. Uh, Bradley, 
Malone. Uh, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you and Navigate? Website. So Navigate MC, as in management consulting or MikeCharlie.com. Uh, reach me there or brad.malone at navigatemc.com. All right. And Bradford Dempsey. Uh, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you and Solutions 360? At www.solutions with an S360.com or at bdempsey at solutions360.com or at bdempsey on Twitter. All right. Very good. Thank you both so much. For us, for Aviation, go by our website, aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. Find more programs like this one and a host of others. All that and more at aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.